0: We're continuing our sermon series, God's Story, Our Story, by looking at the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. We began our journey through the New Testament last week by looking at the first half of the Gospel of Matthew in a very unique passage full of the genealogy, the names that make up the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And we established last week that the genealogy of Jesus Christ helps to connect the dots between all of the events of the Old Testament and what is about to happen in the New Testament. Many people wonder why are we spending so much time going through the Word of God and the reason that we look at the Word of God every single week from Genesis to Revelation is because as Edmund Clowney said it best, it's possible to know the Bible stories but not know the Bible story. It's possible to know about a lot of things concerning the Bible. It's possible to know about Abraham and David and Moses and Noah, but not really be able to connect the dots to the full story of the Scriptures. We also need to know the Word of God, not simply from more head knowledge, but we must understand the Word of God so we can apply it to every area of life. So when we go through seasons like we're going through now, when we're going through something personally, we understand how to apply the word to every season of life and to every situation of life. But if we don't know the word of God, it's impossible to see all of life through the lens of scripture. So we continue our journey by looking at Matthew chapter one verses 18 through 25. This is the nativity story of Jesus Christ. And in my opinion, one of the key passages in all of scripture that distinguishes Christ and distinguishes Christianity from every other worldview Matthew chapter one, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together to be found with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, the son of David, fear, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. This took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and she called his name Jesus. And on this second second Sunday of Advent, the grass continues to wither. And the flower continues to fade, but the word of our Lord, it stands forever. Amen. I want to ask you a question. Does Christmas really change anything? Does Christmas change anything for you at all? In the midst of the busyness of this season, in the midst of concerts and events and parties and celebration, in the midst of the lights and the decorations, I want to ask you, does Christmas truly change everything? I think it's unfortunate to say that for the majority of the world, Christmas comes and goes and doesn't move the needle at all. I think for the majority of the world, Christmas truly doesn't change anything. And it's my hope and prayer that this Christmas season, much as it did for Joseph 2,000 years ago, that the reality of what happened at Christmas would not only change and continue to change our world, but more specifically that Christmas and the reality of what happened 2000 years ago would change you. You see, it's the two things that challenge Joseph, that continue to challenge us today. And it's in this passage of Matthew chapter one that we find the answer to two fundamental questions. Who is this Christ child And what has this child come to do? And we will never be changed by Christmas until we understand these two foundational truths. So briefly, as we look at Matthew chapter one, who is this child that is born the Christ? We see in verse 19, the context of the birth of Jesus. In verse 19, we see the the dilemma that Joseph is faced with. And while we might not be able to relate specifically to what Joseph is going through, at some level, every single one of us can relate to being in a dilemma, to being in a state of anxiety, being in a place in life where we are absolutely restless like Joseph. Joseph was betrothed, we are told, to marry. That's an ancient term for being engaged. And while it's likened to being engaged, Joseph being betrothed to Mary, it came with legal liability. It came with legal requirements and legal stipulations. To be betrothed meant that documents had already been signed. It meant that gifts had been exchanged. Money had been given. And so Joseph finding himself with a woman that he's betrothed to being pregnant and with child but knowing that he had not had any physical relations with her puts him in a great moral dilemma. Mary had broken the moral law. Mary was now about to be an object of shame in her culture and in her society. And so Joseph, we're told in 19, verse 19, Joseph being a very just and moral man, decides to leave Mary quietly. He doesn't know what to do. How would he face the culture? How would he face his family? How would he face his colleagues in life with this great moral dilemma that has been presented to him? But then we're told in verse 20 that while he's sleeping and i think we can relate to this as we're lying in bed maybe with our minds racing full of anxiety full of restlessness it is in this moment as joseph is dreaming that an angel of the lord comes to him a messenger of the lord comes to david and uh, comes to joseph the son of david we're told and reveals to joseph who this child is in verse 20 joseph is told that this child that Mary has conceived is from the Holy Spirit. And it's in that moment that Joseph understands something profound about this child, that this child is no ordinary child, that this child is none other than God himself, that this child is Emmanuel, that this child that Mary is carrying, is the very Son of God, God coming down in the flesh. And just to be clear, the angel goes on in verses 22 and 23 and says, this is all happening, Joseph, in order to the promise to be fulfilled from the prophet. Who is the prophet? It's Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 7, the angel of the Lord is Reading and sharing with Joseph the prophecy in Isaiah 7, which reads, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The angel of the Lord is revealing to Joseph and ultimately to us this morning that this Christ child is no ordinary child, but it is God himself. It is Emmanuel. It is the incarnation of God and it as it did it rocked joseph's world and if we're honest and understand how profound this truth is it should rock our world this morning the thought of god being with us to the ancients was something that could not be conceived god being holy yes god being transcendent yes but god being with us emmanuel That's something that they could not have comprehended. And it should be for us something that absolutely blows our mind. And the reason this truth of the incarnation is so important for us this morning is it reveals to us the all or nothing nature of Christianity. It reveals to us the all or nothing nature of the message of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus does not come into the world as other founders of other religions did and say, I will teach you about God. Jesus does not come into the world and say, I will point the way to God. But Jesus alone comes into the world and says, I am God. He comes into the world and says, I am the way to God. I am God in the flesh. And it presents to us a dilemma, an all-or-nothing nature concerning Christianity. As I've said before, you cannot simply walk away from the message of Christmas and the message of the incarnation simply in a state of neutrality. You either fully accept Jesus the Christ as the Son of God, as the incarnation of God, or you fully reject Him. But there is no middle ground There is no in-between. It presents to us a dilemma, the all-or-nothing nature of Christianity. He's not here to show you the way to God. He's not here to teach you about God. He is here as God himself, God in the flesh. This is the Christ child. This is who he is. And it turned Joseph's life upside down. And my prayer is that maybe for some of us here this morning or maybe watching at home that the reality of who Christ is would change your life for the first time this morning. But not only does the angel reveal to Joseph who this child is, Emmanuel, God with us, the angel also reveals to Joseph what this child has come to do. And the reality of what this child has come to do is found in his name. In verse 21, when the angel tells Joseph, she will bear a son, she also reveals what his name shall be. His name shall be Jesus. The name Jesus literally means to deliver and to rescue. The name Jesus means that he is coming to fulfill his name, to fulfill what he has been called to do, to save his people from their sins Joseph is confronted with the reality that this Christ child has come to do what is fundamentally important for every single one of us, to save us from ourselves, to save you from you. You see, the scriptures tell us that your greatest problem is staring you in the mirror every morning. Your greatest problem, it resides inside of you. Your sin And the reality of Jesus and his name tells us why exactly he has come to save you from you, to save you from your sins. But to really understand the radical nature of the salvation of Christ, we need to look closely at what's happening here in verse 21 because you can simply gloss over it. You can simply miss it if you're not careful. You see, in any culture, our culture or their culture, in any time period, our time period or their time period, there is only one who has the right to name their child, the parent. But it's here that the angel tells Joseph, you have no right over this child, that you will exercise no authority over this child, that you will not even be given the right or the authority to give this child a name. But by the angel telling this child that his name shall be Jesus is announcing to Joseph and ultimately announcing to us in this this morning that this child has authority over you, that you will not name this child, but this child will name you. You see, this child comes unlike any other child. He comes to have authority and to wrestle all of your rights away. You see, the problem in the North American church is we want to embrace Jesus, but embrace Him on our terms. And this is typically how the relationship with Jesus looks like. We accept Jesus into our life, and then we define the terms— This is how often I'm going to come to church each month. This is what my giving is going to look like. This is how I'm going to participate. This is how much I'm going to read the Bible. This is how I'm going to exercise my faith in the different realms throughout culture. We define the terms. And by the angel of the Lord announcing to Joseph that his name shall be Jesus, it's announcing to all of us that Jesus alone defines the terms. That he is the one that has absolute supremacy and authority over your life. And you will never be at rest until you embrace that truth and you go, that doesn't make sense. My whole life I've been told the more I can have my rights, the more authority and independence I can have in my life, the happier I will be. And now you're telling me that tidings of comfort and great joy is announced by a child that has rights and authority over my life? Yes, it is the paradox of Christmas. Whether you realize it or not, you are full of anxiety and full of fear and full of restlessness. And the lie of the world is, the more authority and independence you can have over your life, the more at peace you will be. And it is the a lie of Satan himself. Because the truth and the good news of Christianity and of Christmas announces to the world that when you surrender your life to this child that is born, the Christ, only then will you have tidings of comfort and joy. It is the paradox of Christmas and it is the great paradox of Christianity. But you say, how in the world could I ever do this? How could I ever surrender my rights and my life to this Christ child? Well, it comes at the end of the story. And at the end of the story, we see precisely what this child was called to do and born to do. This child would end its life, his life, on a cross. And when you see God giving up his life for you, then how can you not gladly give up your life for him? He is the child that was born to die. He is the child that ask you this morning to surrender all rights, to surrender all privileges, to surrender all authority, because it's in him and in him alone that you will find life both now and forevermore. It is in the Christ child alone that you will find the comfort and the peace in the midst of an anxiety-filled world and an anxiety-filled life. It is the promise of Christmas the promise that it announces to you this morning to all those that are gathered here and all those that are watching at home that he who believes in this Christ child, God gives them the right to be called a child of God. He comes into the world at Christmas to seek and to save the lost. A few weeks ago, I alluded to losing two of my classmates that I graduated with at Westminster Academy. Both of them had just turned 40. One of my classmates in particular, Matt Sutton, was somebody that we, my wife and I, had known for over 20 years. And he finally surrendered his life. And God took him home after a long battle of brain cancer. It was about six months ago that God laid it on our hearts to reach out to Matt, to call him and to encourage him, for he had been such an encouragement to so many for so many years. And wouldn't you know that as we're calling him in attempts to minister to him, that the tables quickly turn and he begins to minister to us and to our family. We call him to pray for him and to minister to his weary soul and he ends up praying for us. He ends up singing over us a hymn that talks about going from this life to everlasting life, singing over us and even telling us that he promises to say hello to our daughter when he reaches heaven. And as my wife and I are sitting there in tears, looking at each other, blown away, how can this individual, months away from losing his life, months away from dying, how can he be full of such comfort and such joy? There's only one answer. He understood fully what this Christ child has come to do. It's only a person that understands that in Christ I have everything, therefore I could lose everything in this life and realize that I really lose nothing at all. Do you have this hope? Do you have this assurance that in Jesus Christ, you have everything you need This is who this Christ child is, and this is what he has come to do, to give you tidings of comfort and of joy. I have only one Christmas wish for you, is that you would find Jesus because he has already found you. He has come into this world to seek you and to find you. Listen to me. Your heart and your soul, I don't care how old you are, I don't care if you're a teenager or you are towards the end of your life, your soul will never be at rest until you find rest in the child who was born, the Christ. And if he has pierced your heart this morning, would you come? Not wait till tonight or tomorrow, not wait till next week, would you come this morning? This is the moment, this is the opportunity where you not only hear about the good news of Jesus Christ, But this is the moment where you can receive Him. You say, I have nothing to offer. Precisely, He had everything to offer you, His very life on the cross. He asked you to respond in one way, simply believe. And in a few moments, I'm going to lead us in a prayer. And for the first time, whether you're here or watching at home, you can close your eyes and I'll lead you in a prayer. And you can. Receive this promise of life to the full both now and forever so that this Christmas will be unlike any other Christmas you've ever experienced. It will be the Christmas where you become a child of God. It'll be this Christmas where you're able to say, Jesus came to seek and to find me, the child that was born the Christ, the child that changes everything. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, Would I pray right now that we wouldn't grab for our stuff, head for the doors, but we would have a moment where we ask ourselves, if this is true, what has been said today, might it be true for me? If you've never prayed to God, maybe you can simply say these words, God, I am provoked that the thought of doing life without you is crazy. I'm convicted for the first time. I see my sin, but I see your great salvation, and I repent and I turn away and I turn towards you. Lord Jesus, I need you. I need to be loved by you. I need your forgiveness. I need you this Christmas season. I want to know you and to be known by you i want a relationship with you jesus and i want to be found in you this morning the only hope that is guaranteed and so would you come come to jesus who offers himself freely who says surrender your life because i've surrendered my life for you and may this be the christmas where you're able to say I was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Full of anxiety without a hope in the world. And now I have hope and peace and the comfort and assurance of eternal life and the hope of heaven both now and forevermore. May it be so this day, this Christmas season. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.